listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. All right, all right, I give it up for the Lord meeting us like that. That's awesome. Man, when, when you guys shout a phrase like that, that, that fires me up. So I, I'm, I'm even more ready than I was before, all right? Let's do this thing. Guys, it's been, a, it's been a good journey through the I Am series. Um, a good portion of you, uh, I know, have been here for a, a lot of that. The first week we talked about how Jesus said, I, I am the I am. In other words, I, I am the great I am. I am the one who was and is and is to come. I've been here forever. He's like, the Jews were talking about Abraham. He's like, hey, that's, that's great. I know Abraham. Don't only know him. I created Abraham. I am the I am. We went on to the next week. We said that he is the bread of life. And you're like, your God calls himself bread. That's pretty weird. But hey, thankfully that's metaphor. But what he was saying is that in the way that ancient Near Eastern people's diet depended on bread to live, that is how you should see me. You should be so dependent upon me to live that without me, you would not. And that is the reality that he pointed us to. He is the bread of life. Next week, we talked about him being the light of the world. His light shines into the darkness, even our darkness, not to smite us, right? But to shine light on the sin that we so much tend to love and enjoy, not to say, ha ha, gotcha, but to pull you out of that into his light, out of darkness and into light. And had an amazing time as so many people came forward and confessed their sins and said, I'm done with that. I'm gonna have fellowship with, with God. I want that restored. So I am the great I am. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then we talked about how he is the door, that the only way into heaven is through him. He is the door that Jesus' sheep go, Jesus is the door that the sheep go in and out. And that, that uh, was combined with that I am the great shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And that we should have a relationship with Jesus like sheep. And as you know this, hopefully you know, that was not a very um, obliging way to think of us, right? <laughs> to call us sheep. It, it was not Jesus saying that we were necessarily very capable of a lot of things. Sheep are very needy, <laughs> to say the least. So he said, I am the good shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to leave the 99 to find the one and go after you. And then we talked about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one can come to the Father except through him. No one can come to God except through Jesus. You can pick a way that's nice. You can explain why. But Jesus said, I'm gonna make things really simple for you. If you wanna go to God, you wanna go to heaven, you've gotta go through me. You've gotta believe in me. Hey, what gives me the authority to say that? Well, I'm actually gonna pave the way unlike any other belief system or any other so-called God with my blood at Calvary on the cross and die for your sins and raise from the dead. So believe in me, follow me. I am the way to God. Last week, our boy Julius got up here and killed it, shared his story, talked about grace. And this week for the finishing I Am series, Jesus is going to say something very interesting. He's going to say that he is the vine. Has anyone ever read John chapter 15? Jesus is the vine. Raise of hands. All right, cool. Any of y'all want to come preach? No good? All right, no. All right. I was just checking. That would be really funny if, if you did. Like, it'd be super funny. I prepared a sermon. Like, just let one of you guys come up. So, 
I wanna say this from the outset. I know you're, I know you're tired. I know what point we're on the semester. There's a pastoral instinct in me that wants to hold back a little bit, but I think I would be doing you a disservice. Here's what I mean by that. Out of everything that Jesus says about himself, I think tonight probably requires not only just a belief that what we're saying about Jesus is true, but it it requires very, very much so um, action. It requires decisiveness. It's going to require change. And so what I want you to do in your mindset is to get yourself in a place of thinking like, hey, like I don't, I probably will feel really out of place if I plan on sitting in this room without without changing anything, right? Are you tracking with me? And so because what Jesus is gonna say about him being the vine is going to, it's going to hit at every single one of us. You could be passionately following Jesus right now and just on fire for the Lord. You could be so separated from Christ that you're not even sure you're a Christian or you're maybe even certain that you're not. And this will touch you the way that he is going to speak to us. Y'all tracking with that? And so... Go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. The past couple, that past two years or so, we've had to learn how to decide um, if certain physical ailment symptoms we have are dangerous or not, correct? Are you tracking with me? Right, we've had to figure out is is what I'm feeling um, this light temperature and this headache and the sneezing and coughing, um, is this allergies or, or is this the Rona, right? Like, is this the thing that uh, is going to keep me quarantined and isolated away from every single person? And in 2021, especially in 2020, sneezing in a public place, it was like the modern walking into a public place with just your underwear on, right? Like that, that's, that's the equivalent. Like everyone's staring at you after you sneeze. Like mothers of children are horrified. They're covering their eyes and their mouths and they're running out of the store, right? To make sure that they're getting as far away from you as possible. And so we've, we've lived in that because we've had to identify like, oh, that could be a symptom of something possibly even deadly. We need to get as far away from that as possible. Just for those of you that think that I'm not making light of COVID, it's for real. The fact is, is that for me, I sneeze and cough all the time because apparently as long as I live in Lubbock, I just perpetually have a sinus infection. So there you go. Um, it's the wind and everything. So thank you so much, Lubbock. It's a good thing I love you guys, all right? I'll put up with it for that. Here's where I'm going with that. A, lo- a lot of us, um, we, we know symptoms that we have. So like, uh, man, if you're on the basketball court, your knee, uh, you know, pops and goes a different direction than it normally does, pro- probably a good idea to, you know, just... Sit on the bench, right? Or, or limp to the bench, whatever you gotta do. Um, if you are in class and, and all of a sudden, like you start sweating a lot and breaking out in hives, you know, I, that actually happened to me once in high school. Um, that's probably time to, to go home, right? We, we know how to look at physical symptoms and, and figure out something's not right. But for Christians, and really, I want to invite anyone that's here, which I hope if you're here, you're at least seeking or interested, is what we want to be able to do is look at symptoms of our spiritual lives and be able to assess, are we healthy or not? We, we want to be able to look at and examine our day-to-day lives and things that we see in ourselves and, and ask, 
man, where am I really at? Am I just merely surviving this life or am I doing really well? Am I spiritually healthy in my relationship with Christ or am I spiritually sick, right? Am I doing well or do I need the doc to give me an antibiotic and all sorts of stuff to make me feel better? You tracking with that? So tonight in John chapter 15, I believe we're gonna answer that question and really, I want to dial in the question like this. What are the symptoms of both a thriving and a merely surviving Christian? Why merely? Well, it just sounds better. I'm just joking. <laughs> merely is, is suggesting that, like, really? That's all? Right? If it just put surviving, it'd be like, okay, cool. No, merely is just like an indication that there should be more. Right? So what are the symptoms of both a thriving and merely surviving Christian? Let's read the text together. John chapter 15, starting in verse one. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Sorry, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So what are the symptoms of both a thriving and merely surviving Christian? As we go back to verses one to two, I want you to see this. First, a thriving Christian welcomes God's sovereign pruning. A merely surviving Christian complains about the pruning process, okay? So what this is saying, if you see a vine, if you see branches, if you see lots of grapes growing on it, how dumb would it be to never prune that branch and take off the grapes? It's not gonna be fruitful, right? It's gonna get so heavy and so loaded that it's gonna die or weigh, overweigh the other part of, of the vine and then you've, you've just got this mess, you possibly ruined uh, future fruitfulness, And so it's the same thing in our lives. If we're abiding in Christ, a symptom that we'll see is we're gonna understand that only about 1% of our life is on the mountaintop, that God does his greatest work in the valley. 
Some of you are like, I want to get back to that camp high experience. And I'm like, bro, learn from Jesus. How many times did he go up on a mountain? Yeah, most of the time he came back down. Learn, learn from Moses, right? He spent a little bit of time up on the mountain receiving the law. And where was the rest of his life? It was in the wilderness. Because Moses had an abiding relationship with Christ and because we do too, because we know hopefully what this means, that we're not gonna complain when God takes some things out. There may be friendships. Honestly, when we're very successful, when things are going well, that's probably the times that we are least led to pray. It's probably the times we're least led to plead with God for help and he knows that. He knows that. And so a merely surviving Christian, whenever things aren't going well and they're going through certain suffering or difficulties, doesn't complain, but they lean in to the process of God's sovereignty and how he uses circumstances. What, may, what others may use for evil or intend for evil, he uses for good. A thriving Christian welcomes God's sovereign pruning. Then I want you to look over to verse seven. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And this is the point I want you to focus on. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And so what we see next is that a thriving Christian prays according to the will of God, which is informed by the word of God, whereas a merely surviving Christian prays according to their own desires and wills. Here's just a plain example. I've known people that have been in legitimate need of transportation, all right? When they pray just for any sort of transportation and God gives it and they're grateful, Hallelujah, I think you should pray for that and, and be grateful when God gives it to you. But if you're praying for a car that's like $100,000, I'm like, bro, you're off, man. Like, that's way off. Like if you're constantly praying to God about something that has a dollar sign next to it, you gotta check your heart. When you pray according to the will of God, what you're doing, what that means is all of your prayers are informed according to God's priorities. When you pray in Jesus' name, it would be like, how weird would it be to, to go rob a store and as you're leaving, I do this in my dad's name. That's not, that's not right. Your dad would have never affirmed that action. When you're doing something in Jesus' name, when you're praying in Jesus' name, you're doing it and you're praying as best as you can according to what you think his priorities and his will is. And he cares about the little things, but it's prayers like for people's salvation, for your own growth, for your pursuit of holiness, for your battle with sin, for your church community, for your sick grandmother, for you to leverage all, of you, all that you have for his glory. So a, a, a merely surviving Christian is gonna pray very selfishly and shallow, but a thriving Christian is praying according to the will of God informed by his word. How do you know the will of God? Well, the revealed will is everything in his word. If you're thinking about doing something that this says don't, there you go, that's not God's will. If you're thinking about doing something that this says does, there you go, there's God's will. And pray according to that end. Let's keep moving through this. Go to verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. I want you to lean into this. This is very difficult. American culture has really messed us up. 
if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So I said, a, a thriving Christian loves God through their obedience. A merely surviving Christian believes that they can love God without obeying him. That's trippy, okay? So think about this. I'm gonna use a lot of parent you know, analogies. All of us have at least a guardian in our life or a spiritual father, at least or mother. And so think about how strange it would be to say, oh, mom, I love you so much. I love you so much, but I swear to heaven the next time that you ask me to take out the trash, I'm gonna flip a lid. Not literally, because you flip a lid to take out the trash. I didn't think that one through, right? But how strange would it be if you say to your dad, dad, I love you, but the next time that you ask me to um, come home and visit you, or the next time you ask me to do anything, like, I'm, I'm probably just gonna totally abandon you, never talk to you again. That's really strange. And a lot of us, we wanna worship a God that is not allowed to tell us anything to do. But a Christian understands that we love God through obeying him. You wanna you want see how much you love God? How much are you in conformity to what he says is good? How out of conformity are you to what he says is not good. Some of you, a lot of you maybe, are in a dating relationship. You know this. You know that love is a noun at times, but functionally, it is a verb. <laughs> you have got to live it out. You have got to show it and display it. Love for God does not earn you anything. But true disciples of Christ is what Jesus is saying you're my friends if you do what I command you. I, I, I can tell that you love me if you do what I command you. Let's keep moving on. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Does your, any version say your joy should be subpar? Anybody, anybody's version got a weird version? You're gonna be embarrassed. You're not gonna raise your hand now, right, in front of everybody. So my version says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. You know what the Greek says? It says full, all right? It says full. So a thriving Christian is full of joy. A thriving Christian is full of joy. A surviving Christian is at best an emotional roller coaster. And here's how this plays out. Again, American culture has, has messed this up too. Joy and what you probably think of, the way we use it, is not the same thing. Joy for the Christian is something rooted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. The joy for a Christian means that you could have lost everyone and everything that you own and have 0.0000 to your name, but you're going to bed at night and you're like, well, at least the tomb is empty, <laughs> right? At least the tomb is empty. Like, I have joy. Joy is when how you feel emotionally, your general posture and well-being is not dictated on your surroundings, on your circumstances, but on the fact that the best thing that could have ever happened to you has happened in Christ, and the worst thing that could have ever happened to you, you know right now, will never happen. That's to be severed from him forever. Amen? That's what Christian joy is. A surviving Christian is best an emotional roller coaster. So again, it's a symptom. 
right? Just because you're sneezing don't mean you got the vid. But I'm just saying, if you're an emotional roller coaster, you may want to examine that symptom and ask, where is my joy rooted? Is it in Christ or is it in something else? Let's read verses 12 to 13. Keep walking through this with me. Jesus says this in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another when you want to. Nope. (laughs) That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love as no one than this. Really strange wording. Greater love, he's basically saying greater love can be defined by this, can be just um, be outdone by, by this thing right here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Any certain words stick out there <laughs> in those verses? Starts with an L, ends with love. Love, someone say it. Say love with me. Love, one, two, three. Love, there we go. We're still alive, baby. Good job. A thriving Christian sacrificially loves their brothers and sisters in Christ. A merely surviving Christian loves others only when it's convenient. Okay. Told you it was tempting to hold back. Verse 12, Jesus says that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, I struggle even loving my own wife that way. That is a high standard. How did Jesus love us? How did he best display his love? By dying for us, though innocent. And he's saying, I want you to take the magnitude, the beauty, the glory, the sacrifice of my love for you. And I want you to dispel. I want you to give it. I want you to be a fountain of that love overflowing to other people. And it should look exactly like my love because when it does, they'll know me through it. That's what he's talking about. That's the type of love. If I could comment a little bit on Jesus, what that means, really struggling Christian are just honestly probably not really a Christian person. (laughs) That means when you're claiming Christ, but your love sucks, you're giving him a bad name. That means when you're claiming Christ and your lips are just stained with gossip. That means when you claim Christ and you look at someone that doesn't have the same skin color as you as less than you. I'll just let that sentence stay there. He wants us to love others as he's loved us. A thriving Christian sacrificially loves their brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask yourself this question for your note takers. Just a side note. When was the last time that I could define my love for other people as sacrificial? Just put that in your head. When is the last time that I could define something that I did for someone else as sacrificial? Or was it just merely convenient? So what is the question again? We kind of walk through the text here. What are the symptoms of a surviving Christian? Overall, if you want to know, Bible study 101, it's right in the center of this passage. Really, the overall answer is this. A thriving Christian abides in Christ. A merely surviving Christian does not. That's where it comes down to. It comes down to John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And now if you're anything like me, what does abide mean? 
What a vague word, abide. Did any of you use that word in your vocabulary today? No, you didn't, right? I didn't, well, I used it because I practiced the sermon. All right, abide means to remain. Abide means to dwell, to stay. Abide means to make yourself at home with Jesus. Abide means, metaphorically speaking, you're knocking on Jesus' door. He lets you in. You've got your suitcase. You pack. If you pack heavy, you've got two suitcases, right? And probably a backpack, right? You come on in. Where's my room? You go in there. You don't just set the suitcase on the floor. You start putting the clothes in the dresser. You start putting all the shirts on the hanger. If you're really bougie, you have other, anyway. So then you go to the, to the shower and then you get your body washed out of whatever you're, you're rocking. If you're just an all natural, all like natural soap person, you do that. What you're, what you're doing is saying, Hey, I want to stay for a while. And you go back into Jesus say, if it's okay with you, I just want to live here for the rest of my life. It's the idea with Jesus. When you abide in him, you're saying, Hey, I'm going to make my dwelling place. I'm going to make where I am. I want to be as connected to you as possible where you are. I want to be, and I never want to leave you. And so what it really comes down to is um, the, the abiding Christian is like a grape, right? Very fruitful, very, very lush. Anyone want a grape? Oh, for real, throw one right now. Let me go, Brennan. Oh, sorry, bro. Anyone want a grape? Be mad. Let's go, baby. Oh, quarterback, QB, QB1. I was a lineman. I'm living out my dream, living vicariously from the stage up here, guys. Anyone else want? I'll do two more. You guys are too much. I want to hit Hunter in the back. Let's see if I can get him. We're having, uh, we're having free wine after the service. Not really, just joking. Dude, our cause minister would explode. Could y'all imagine all the tech students? Woohoo, let's go. Um, anyway, that was dumb. All right. <laughs> um, Cut that out of the podcast, TJ. Anyway, so <laughs> and a, a merely surviving Christian is more like a raisin. I'm not even going to ask if you want a raisin because if you do, you're just weird. Raisins are nasty. And really thankful for Katie Harden. She made sure and got me organic raisins. So if I eat it, I am all organic now. Um, I had a cheeseburger for dinner. That doesn't count, I don't think. Anyway, I'm joking. A raisin is all dried up, isn't it? And it's, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people spend a lot of money to make sure their skin doesn't end up looking like this. You dragon, you know what I mean? Just not attractive. You, you put this uh, grape up next to the, the raisin. I got really fat fingers. I don't even know if y'all can see it. Right? <laughs> this grape, this raisin. It's, it's very obvious which one is more fruitful, more attractive, um, which one has been connected longer to some sort of source of life. It's dehydrated. And so that is a good grape. <laughs> really the question what you need to ask is, am I a grape or a raisin? Look at your spiritual life. Are you... Are you dried up? There's really nothing left but to hope maybe put some artificial sugar on you just to make you swallowable, right? Or is your spiritual life like a grape just full of abundance and, and, and flavor and, and, and sweetness and, and just robust fruitfulness? 
A thriving Christian abides in Christ. A merely surviving Christian only affiliates himself with Christ. The thriving Christian is saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. They follow him. They call him Lord. They call him King. The merely surviving Christian wants Jesus to give them 100% of himself while they give maybe 3%. In other words, the thriving Christian is following Jesus. The merely surviving, barely Christian or so-called Christian is following a path that leads to a place where the weather is hot year-round, if you understand what I mean. It's very dangerous to play with your relationship with Christ. It's very dangerous to play the game, to pretend as if you're a Christian when none of what Christ says a Christian looks like, looks like you, <laughs> right? So because of the truths of John chapter 15, we see that we need to abide right in the middle of this verse 5. That is the meaning of this passage. Everything else around that is fleshing out what abiding looks like. We need to understand tonight, how do we apply these truths, right? You need to understand that as you see some symptoms, you know what abide means, how do you apply it? And here's the part where I was saying it's so hard not to shrink back, but we really need to lean into this. And the reality is, is that for people ages 18 to 24, most of you in this room fall very close to that. Maybe some 25 and 26, maybe some 10th, 10th year seniors. That's all right. We love you. Glad you're here. All right. Most of you are in that age range. There are, I have discovered and learned, so I've been with you, there are certain lies, there are certain temptations, there are certain hindrances, there are certain behaviors, there are certain mindsets, there are certain things that your hearts have greatest affections for, which prevent you, which are such great hindrances from you abiding in Christ. And you may not even know them consciously. You may not even say them, but let's examine a few hindrances that you may have, even subconsciously, that hinder the average 18 to 24 year old from abiding in Christ. And the first one may kind of sound like this. Here's the lie that you believe. You know, Cole, I want to abide in Christ, but I don't want to be disciplined in reading my Bible. And the answer to that is you need to stop flirting with the word of God and commit already. Right, It's dating language. It's, it's awkward, right? You see the guy they've been dating for nine years. It's like, dude, propose or like do something. Like either like seal the deal or leave. Like what are you doing? And, and that's how it is when a Christian doesn't take the word of God seriously. It's like, dude, like read it, enjoy it, take it seriously or just leave this thing all together because a Christian is a person of God's word. And so what it comes down to is something you need to resolve in your heart, friends. And I, I'm trying not to shrink back. I want you to hear grace in my voice. Y'all really need to resolve this in your heart. Tonight, preferably. <laughs> is, is this the word of God? Is this inspired? Is this a source of all essential Christian truth that can tell you how to be saved, how to know God, how to live? Is this authority? Does this get to tell you what to do or does it not? Is it God's word or just a book with a bunch of funny and cool stories with killing and all these rules that you don't have to follow? Like you need to resolve that in your heart. I'd rather see someone walk away from the faith by just admitting, yeah, I'm not actually the real deal than pretend to be a branch, <laughs> to 
tend to be on the vine only to find out you were never connected, dude. You're never connected. And so that's what I want you to resolve in your heart tonight. We've got to stop flirting with the word of God and commit already. Psalm 19, seven says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so some of you, you're in survival mode. God is like, read the word, come over to revival mode. Like he wants to restore your soul and revive your soul. He wants you to have an abundant life. And it starts here with the word of God. So stop flirting with it. Stop playing games and start treating it the way it talks about itself. It says that it's holy. It's powerful. It's living and active. It's a double-edged sword. The next hindrance sounds like this. It says, you know, Cole, abiding sounds really nice. But I just don't have enough time to pray and read the word. And the response there is you need to stop posting and start praying. Now, here's what I mean by this. Love myself some social media. But I think you're going to track here. I got, I got a formula for a miracle, right? Y'all ready for this? A formula for a miracle. You go home and try it. If we had a one-to-one ratio, that's all it is, just a one-to-one ratio of time spent on social media or on your phone, a one-to-one ratio to that, and how much time you spend in prayer, boom, right? Like revival's breaking out. Like the church is exploding. Oh my gosh, God is so amazing. And why? Because you spent more time with him than you do with your three to five second reel. Just kind of scrolling through. God, thank you for this day. Amen. Right? Just move on. It's, a, it's amazing how this Bible from beginning to end is covered in prayer. And we're like, oh, I'll do that later. It's like, no, do it now. So I'm not telling you to get rid of your social media. But maybe try it. For every hour you spent, spend an hour in prayer. Dang, I'm growing in Christ now. Yeah, you are, Probably. Okay, so now this, you know, you know, Cole, I, I want to be fruitful and I want to be used by God, but I just want to be low key about it, you know, <laughs> like I don't, I don't want it to cost me too much. Like Jesus saved me, but, but don't you dare change me, right? And the answer to that hindrance is you need to stop treating the great commission with indifference and apathy and start approaching it with urgency and intensity. John chapter 15, verse 16 says this. Again, guys, I'm not lying. The NIV says this, any other Bible, even the message does a good job with this, right? All right, verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That what? That you should go and bear fruit. What's that fruit look like? Jesus is talking to disciples. He wants them to make what? More disciples. If your generation stops doing that, what happens to the church? Think about this. If every single person in this room were to just continue the trajectory that you're in, in terms of how seriously you take Jesus's commission to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be about loving the lost. Like if you just stayed on that same trajectory, I want you to answer an honest question. And every single person lived exactly the way you did in the journey. In 10 years, would we even have a ministry at all here? I don't know. I don't know. That's for you to answer. Stop flirting with the word of God. Commit. Stop posting. Start praying. 
start treating the Great Commission with, with urgency and intensity. And lastly, he's like, hey, you know, Cole, I, I want to abide in Christ. We're about to, we're about to, touch, we're about to prick some hearts, guys. It's, it's about to get real. I want to abide in Christ when I'm really focused. You don't say it, but in your heart, you feel it. I'm trying to find someone right now. So maybe when I get engaged, maybe when I get married, I'll really start to focus on Jesus. And friends, I got to tell you this. You need to stop trying to find a spouse and start trying to find a disciple maker. Okay, I want you to, to see this. If, if you're from the beginning, you're not looking for someone else that's serious about Christ. What you're doing is you're laying a foundation. And what you're basically setting up your marriage for is to find out three or four years in, you don't give a flip about Jesus's glory. And you know what you then do? You have kids, you teach them to only go to church on Easter and Christmas, and you are responsible for creating another generation that is apathetic and lackadaisical about the Great Commission, about the gospel, about Jesus. The flip side of that is, is that you could go into your dating relationships. You could be excited about your marriage someday. Like, yeah, I know the love and all the aspects of marriage. Like, I'm, I'm a guy. I get it. I know there's more than just all the very serious God-glorifying things. I know, like, relationships are awesome and great. Marriage is awesome and great. But if the ultimate pinnacle reason would be if you would make it in your heart and decide this tonight, it's like, hey, we want to be a marriage that comes together because we believe that together we can be a better deadly force for the gospel of Christ than apart, right? That's, that's the mindset shift. And then what begins to happen, Gen Z, is that you get us older, old men and old women to start looking at your generation and how you're thinking about marriage. And we're like, daggum, we've been doing it wrong this whole time. And you start leading the way towards the shift and change that the church needs to see in the future. Amen? You may be thinking, you know, Cole, I just don't understand how I'm supposed to abide in someone that I can't see. I've never seen Jesus physically. He's telling me to abide in him. So to be honest, I think I'm going to pass on this sermon. Jesus has given us his, his Holy Spirit. And what that means is it's kind of like how when you came to college or at any time that you're physically apart from your parents, you still have their DNA, don't you? You still have mom's eyes. You still have dad's laugh. You still have dad's dad's jokes, right? Like you still, you still got it all. You still got their DNA in you, even though you're apart. And so what we receive as Christians when we believe in the gospel is the Holy Spirit enters inside of us and we carry with us the spiritual DNA of Jesus. How is that possible? Why? Because God the Father, Son, and Spirit are one in purpose and in, in mission and <laughs> exactly everything that they're trying to accomplish, which is applying grace to the life of the believer, uh, applying what Jesus accomplished on the cross to the believer. And here's a picture of what this looks like. Galatians 5, says this, but the fruit of the spirit. So think about this. He's about to tell us, you're like, how could I know if I was really abiding in Christ? Like, how could I know that this is actually happening? Like, I don't, I'm trying, I'm trying to do the right things. How could I know? Here's what you would see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, 
faithfulness to God and to others, gentleness and self-control. That's, that's what you're gonna see. And I can tell you, it's very obvious when Cole Rhodes is not abiding in Christ. It's very obvious. We're gonna get real. I'm not gonna ask you to get real. I mean, not get real. So when I'm not abiding in Christ, guess what happens? I'm not in the word. I'm not praying. I'm apathetic about personal holiness. I'm disengaged when I'm at church during worship. Yes, even on Sundays. Yes, there have been Sundays in the venue where I have been on my iPad not taking sermon notes. <laughs> Chronically anxious and depressed in a bad mood, easily angered, annoyed, not quick to forgive, judgmental, not living with purpose, just going through the motions. Now that's my junk. That's what Cole Rhodes looks like whenever I'm not abiding in Christ. So I'm gonna raise my hand and I'm just gonna ask, is there anyone else in here that kind of looks like that when you're not abiding in Christ? All right, half of you are, are lying. Okay, anyway, I'm just joking. <laughs> But here's what it looks like when I am. And here's what it's gonna look like for you. Again, this is not fruit that Cole's producing. This is the fruit that Christ produces. Perseverance, like a joyful outlook on, on most days, hunger and thirst for time in God's word, like praying consistently, not just when I need something. Sometimes just stopping. Thank you, God, for just, man, the sunrise, like, Serious about personal holiness, passionate and urgent about the gospel, engaged at church with my community of brothers and sisters, generally in a better mood. Ask Caitlin, she knows when I'm abiding Christ and not <laughs> living with purpose and intentionality. And it's only by abiding in Christ that that is possible. Now, that's just a short list but every single virtue that we listed in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, whatever. I'm gonna say it real fast. All of those things, anyone would want. Anyone would wanna display those and it's available by abiding in Jesus. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up here. As we close out this series, friends, what I want you to know is the truth of John chapter three, verse 36. And it says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you know what that word remains is? It's the same word that Jesus used in John 15, verse five, when he said, abide in me. So here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's, here's the reality. There's no middle. There's no gray area. The Bible's right. <laughs> you are either abiding in the love of Christ or abiding in the wrath of God. <laughs> Heaven and hell hinges on one thing. <laughs> Have you believed in Jesus? <laughs> Is he the vine that you're saying, I need you, I can only live with you. I don't wanna live with anything else or anyone else. You're it. Like. You're it, where else would I go? Heaven and hell hinges on, on that one thing. God can see the symptoms in the room, I can't. God can see those of you that are severed, never had a relationship with Christ, he knows that, and he loves you with the love of Christ. 
know, God can be perfect and still mourn. I'm not that wonder if he mourns for our situation. He sees some of you in this room severed from him. It's just like, I don't know how you could hear this and not come to me. And he just keeps week in and week out. Every time you're here on Sunday, Tuesday, or whenever you hear the word of God preached, it's inviting you, come and believe in me. What are you waiting for? Quit living apart from me and come into this. This is beautiful. This is what you were created for. And God sees all of your symptoms. They're invisible to us, but he sees them all. So I'm telling you, there's nothing to hide. The only one that matters sees it anyway. And so listen to the call of Christ. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, God sees your symptoms. He knows that you need him. He says, believe in me. And for Christians in the room, they're invisible. Sometimes they're visible like my, my fruit of not abiding. But he sees it. He already sees it. There's nothing to hide. The Holy One that matters sees that you're struggling. He sees that you're not abiding. He sees that your life is filled. I just spit. This is awesome. It is filled with anxiety. And you're miserable. You're unsure about the future. You haven't been in the Word. You haven't been praying. And if there's anyone who would be qualified to say, I'm so tired of your roller coaster crap. I don't want to take you anymore. He's still, even for the 100th time or the 1 millionth time, takes you back and says, once again, Christian, abide in me. He sees it. He knows it already. Cole Rose doesn't need to know it. No one else in this room needs to know it. But he says, come back. Abide in me. Come unpack those clothes and stay for a while. Just sit with me and be with me. 1 John 1, 8 to 9, Christian, if we confess our sins, he smites us. No, that's not what it says. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That's the word of God right there. That's the gospel. Confess your sins, wandering branches. Experience the overflowing grace of Jesus tonight. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Much, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Stop merely surviving and start abiding. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a few moments to just respond. The quietness of your heart. We'll have people in the back to talk with you. We don't define the response time. If it needs to happen privately in your own heart and mind, you do it. But you make right what's wrong tonight with Christ. You don't listen to those lies. You listen to his word. You obey it and you follow it through. He loves you, friend. He wants you to make some changes tonight. And when you make those changes, you'll be welcomed with open arms by him and people in this room that love you too you a few moments. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.